0: been talking about the uh, unseen realm Uh, it's more than just angels angels is a uh, job description uh, that uh, and and a lot of this is stuff that I'd hinted to and got glimpses of and and, uh, it's just nice to have it kind of organized a little bit and there was because I know God's orderly and I knew that heaven wasn't just chaos running around that it would be there and But it is kind of nice looking and and seeing and then having some comparisons uh, 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 to how it might be. You know, we only know what we know, um, but we know who he is and how he is and that he is orderly. And so one of the things we've looked at is he has a divine counsel, is the word that they had for it, to help him decide things. Does he have to have it? No. He chooses to have it. Again, we use us for an example. You know, he could come down here and preach in every one of our ears. You know what he wants us to hear and see and say, but he chooses to use Um, people—a faulty method. (laughs) But because we are faulty creatures, but it's what he chooses. It's what he wants, and that's how he wants it to go about. Same thing in heaven—they turned out to be faulty creatures. You know that they they messed up too, and and, uh, we'll look at some sayings that come from that. But uh, they call the divine council. are also called a court, they're also called an assembly, uh, they're also called the sons of God, they're also called the sons of mighty. There's a lot of these phrases as I've gone through and had my eyes open to it, I read it and it's in text all the time and it's just like a lot of them we read past and I guess it's just trying to wake up our sensitivity to let's not read past that anymore, let's take some time and think on that. Uh, there is a term in Bible study that the, the Jews have called a remaz. And it's one of these times when you read a text and it catches you and you're kind of like, wait a minute, I think there's something else there. They call that having a remez. When you read a text and you're like, and it sparks you to enough that you're saying, I think there might be something deeper here. It's the Holy Spirit talking to you saying, look into that. Chances are there's a good nugget to be paid off if you would research that. And these are that way. And I'm glad that people have had these remezes to the point where they put it into books, you know, to pass it all down. They're like, let's not read past these verses anymore. Let's see what's going on because... Honestly, we are this close to that veil being ripped open. I mean, microscopic, and all of a sudden, the supernatural and the natural being combined, and we're going to be lied to. Um, Levi and Danny and I have a discussion group that runs throughout the week on Levi and Danny topics, <laughs> and Brian, which means you are probably crazy. But but one that we looked at, we always, I've always been interested in UFOs and all stuff. Twenty five countries have disclosed that they're in contact with alien beings. That, that's like. And they're saying, when's the United States going to do this? And the Podesta emails, I was just reading through them. Uh, he's talking to um, Edgar, oh, I forget his name, but last, one of the last astronauts on the moon. And he was pushing for disclosure. We need to re- And he's coming to him as talking to Podesta, as the uh, one who worked on the Obama administration, who was being the, the, the head um, campaign coordinator for Hillary. She said she would disclose if she got elected. That was one of her campaign promises, and that uh, what's going on, what connection they have. But his emails are through him and this astronaut, and the astronaut is schooling him, getting him up to date. You know, hey, they want to give us, called zero-point energy, they want to give us the... the you know how we can have energy for free, not be dependent upon oil. Um, he called they call them not ETs but ETIs, extraterrestrial intelligences, and they always call them nonviolent ex, e, extraterrestrial intelligences, which is like, hmm, yeah, it makes you kind of scary if you have to emphasize that they're not they're not <laughs> they're not violent. And then in one other one, there's an emailer talked about them being. We need to teach you and school you between the celestials and the ETIs. They're different, and they're even acknowledging in these if you kind of read between the lines of these conversations. But they don't think they're from another universe. They think they're from here in a different dimension. So they're being lied to. And a lot of the information that they're getting are from the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church already claims to be in contact with them and saying that they're going to then give us the true religion. It's like, uh, have you ever read this book? It warns about this kind of stuff, and yet that is going on. 25 countries, and one of the main ones I saw that shot me was Australia has come out. So they have all this list. Just Google who all has disclosed. It comes up, it's not even hidden in there. And so, um, we're on the veil to that being pushed down our throat and it's going to tell you that the Bible is wrong, you're archaic for believing it, this is who they are, this is what they'll be doing, you need to get on board and you're going to ban what you're thinking, that is dangerous thinking that you have if you're going by this book and so we need to be on guard for it, so shame on us if we're not prepared for the supernatural and say, where did this come from? There are other beings out there? And so, that's part of my motivation, you know, to be ahead of the curve and I think the church always should be because they're going to lie to us and say that they're From some distant thing, or there's some great grand plan, and 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 whatever else. And so we need to be on guard. You know what does God's word say? He has given us everything. Part of my thinking, and, and even studying this, is that maybe we read past it for so long because we didn't need it. You know, it wasn't going to be there. But as it gets closer in the last days, the Bible even tells us in the book of Daniel, knowledge shall increase. It's not just knowledge in general that is increasing. Bible knowledge, the veil gets turned back, books get opened, we have technology we don't have before where they can open and read and verify, and so maybe that's part of it. And so these, I I think again, um, science has shown the chances of life in the universe besides us, slim to intelligent life out there, so yeah. I think they could say they got rid of all the obstinate people, you know, that's, that's one scenario I've heard play out that way, they could... Yeah, it, it, I'm sure it'll be used in that way. Um, it's it's because it's them. They're going to deny God. You know the story they're going to tell It's like, oh yeah, you're created by a, a loving God. But no, it's going to be we made you or we helped in this. And you know because evolution's crumbling. Tim has sent me some articles, and I and I think uh, the new movie uh, that a lot of us in here have signed up to go see uh, that interest in Genesis supporting the. What's called now something evolution Genesis, <laughs> Genesis history? Yeah. It's falling, or it's crumbling all around him. I was listening to a John Akerberg show um, this week where he's talking to some top scientists and they're like, enough time has gone on. Darwin said time would prove out through the geologic columns all this would be true. And they're like, we're finding none of it to be true. Matter of fact, life started out more complex and, 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 and so diverse, they call it the Cambrian Explosion because it's like there was nothing, there's everything. You know, and then all those begin to die out. And they're like... It shouldn't be this way, and so it's, they're terrified. Um, a little science makes you an atheist, a lot of science makes you a believer, because it's not there, it points to him. And so they're going to be desperate for it. Uh, and they, you know, if anything we've learned this last election, they manipulate whatever they want for their, all their purposes. I saw, I don't know how many articles this weekend, about how they have twisted the data on the temperature to try to use climate change to suppress... Uh, United States mainly, you know, just capitalism, to put that down so that we would buy into the world system to have to get into it because, oh, you've got to stop what you're doing, you know. And we know that we're one of the cleanest nations out there, and yet they're trying to manipulate it and twist it to the point where Al Gore has a new movie. Another inconvenient truth. I don't know. Just an inconvenient movie, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, they're already saying, it's like, mm, these facts aren't right, right, and they're not true. It's pushed. A lot of Bibles are being taken out of hotels and that being put in, in some areas. And yet that book is so full of propaganda. It's banned in some countries because it has, they can't verify any of it. They're like, no, this is a blatant lie. And yet it's out there, and they try to, and they teach it as a textbook in our school. It's like, uh, it's terrifying. So we are in a battle of information, And and, and I wanted to be a front of the curve on this. And so sons of God, sons of the mighty, uh, he uses family terms. I think that's crucial. I also think it's comforting. It also tells you why the church is, and and why the family is under attack. Because if you can break up that model, if you can mess it up to the point where none of this makes sense, um, the devil wins in a lot of areas. Um, We're going to see next week when we get to Malachi, in the next two weeks. Uh, Malachi, here it is strong, and he comes out of that. God protects marriage. Marriage is an important thing. You mess that up. You mess up my model. It's just like when he was yelling at them for messing up the model of the sacrifice. He goes, You're messing with my family. You're messing two of my great models that I am teaching who I am, how this works. He says, you take that apart, you tear it up, you're messing it up for future generations. And so he calls them on the carpet for it, and it's like, you sure you're writing that to Malachi's day and not to our day? You know, because you know, it's under attack for us. So he uses family turns. Adam, uh, not Adam Philpot. Adam in the garden, him and his wife Eve, they're called, uh, he's called a son of God. same as the angels. Uh, the sons of God are special creations of God. They are something that he made special. He calls them his sons. And apparently, I uh, would say he made all boys, but I've found a couple of girl angels. We'll look at uh, at some point. And, you know, and then some of these things we say them often enough and, and enough, and it gets repeated. Then you go back and look for it, and you're like, well, it's not that. Well, there's this. You know, and so some of you get kind of caught up in it. And, and so we need to be, and that's why I think it keeps a lot of pastors back. Well, if that's what it says, I don't. know. Everybody else always says this. I don't want to be the weirdo. Says something different. Let Brian be the weirdo, so Brian's the weirdo. <laughs> and so, and so verse, I'd rather be with what he's saying versus what everybody else is saying. If it's wrong, we need to adjust, or at least as new terms come to light and as we see things. And so some of that's there, but sons of God are special creations of God. Men and women, as a general are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. That's what we are. It's not just a, a quaint little term that C.S. Lewis was using Narnia. Um, but but we are His, and, and the world always wants to try to say, and they paint it as a special light. And matter of fact, it's a phrase used even in Malachi um, that we are children of God. In essence, yes, you know God has made us all here, but not in the light, as in not not in the, in the in the aspect of us being in a close relationship with Him. That's not given. We are born lost. The default setting is we are at enmity with Him. We are against Him. We are His enemy. We have to be. There has to be a drastic change come to change that, and so. Yes, are we God's creations and his, you know, as men and women? Yes, but not in the sense of being that close, familiar relationship until the changes come. Now, when you are born again, when you repent and trust Jesus Christ to save you, then you become a special creation of God. And I'm going to go through this with you again tonight because it's one of those, the first time I went through it, it made me feel better. You know, it made me feel good, seeking how that was, knowing what God had done for me. I appreciate what Christ has done for me and I'm glad that we will grow and we continue to grow in our appreciation for his gift. As we appreciate what he has done, the more we can appreciate who he is and what he has done and sacrificed for us. But we are a special creation of God. Um, Jesus Christ died for us. He changed us. He gave us a heart transplant. He took out our heart of stone and he gave us a new heart. He He changed us in that way. We become a new creature. Uh, Look at Genesis. No, sorry. Galatians 3, verse 26. Galatians three, and it, and it gives us an, a key identifier. Galatians three twenty six says, "For we or sorry. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. If you have the faith in Christ Jesus, you are adopted in the family of God. That's." That's the, that's the special thing. It's not like, oh, we are all children of God. It's those who are by faith. If you never have faith, you're not in that family. You know, um, the popes, some of the popes in the recent past have said, hey, atheists, everyone, everyone gets to heaven. And there's atheists like, I don't want to go. It's like, don't make me go. And they're like, oh, sorry, you have to go. God, God's done that for you. No, God says, unless you repent and trust in me, you go. There's not like an all get in free. There's, there has to be a, a choice that was made. Look at John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. John 1 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So the sons of God, sons and daughters of God, are those who believe on his name, those who have faith. We are adopted, we become changed, we become a special creation of God. We don't find this wording in the Old Testament. You know, there's the sons of Israel and you can be adopted into that, but this this is different. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is one that uh, he includes everybody in because sometimes our world today hates it when it's a masculine term for anything. But uh, Second <laughs> Corinthians six eighteen says, "And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters," saith the Lord of hosts. You know, so he's changed them. He's going to be our father. It's that familiar, uh, f- familia, uh relationship. He says, "You shall be." My sons and my daughters, we get adopted in, and then we also know from Romans, you know, it makes no difference, man or woman, Jew or Gentile. I've adopted you in. Uh, Let's go back to Galatians. We were there a minute ago, I think. Sorry, yeah. Okay. Uh, The one we just read there about how we're going to we could be grafted in. Galatians four. Galatians 4, we'll start at verse 4. Says, uh, Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem that were them that were under the law. So we have to be redeemed. That we might receive the adoption as sons. Uh, adoption. Uh, I know we've talked about that before here, but that's uh, adoption had a special, special meaning. If you uh, were adopted into a family... Um, you could never be put out. Israel had a, a deal where if you had a mis, a, a disobedient child, you can, in essence, divorce yourself from them. Right, we can't do anything with them. We turn them over to you. you know, we, we put them out. You know, that's uh, we, we've done all we can. You can, you can, you can cast them off in that way. Um, but the exception was unless they were adopted, you could not put off an adopted son. God's like that's cruel. We don't do that. No, you're adopted in. We don't want them to think that that could be broken. You're there, and it's first time you study that, it's pretty shocking. Oh, I'm glad God has a rule like that. One, you can see the protection and the love, you know, um, uh, how that happens and how that goes and and how fragile that is with an adopted child in some uh, cases, and and that... uh, to know that we are adopted, that we have that guarantee that he's like, I, I can't put you out. You know, I've adopted you, you're there. It's, it's by law and I'm by contract. You are mine, you're there, you're mine forever, you're my responsibility. There's comfort in that, knowing that we are not only just a new creature, but we're also adopted in. You know, so we have this double portion in that way. Uh, verse 5 says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might be received the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and of a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You know, so then you're adopted into the family. We're in the family business. You become an heir, just like Jesus Christ was an heir. Again, but he, he says we, we have access to all this. And that's why we have all that language about uh, through the millennial reign that we're going to be kings and priests. Because and, you know, we're adopted into the family business. You know, we're going to be working for him. And, and so I, I find that exciting. Uh, look at Luke 3. Luke three is the uh, genealogy, and it's got um, unique wording that I just wanted to point out. I I, admit, I mentioned it earlier, but <clears throat> it's always good to to see the Bible verse. <clears throat> at least that's my thinking. And, uh, I'm sorry. Luke three. Look at verse. Um, what do I got here? Twenty three. Luke three twenty three. That's not it. I'm in Luke. Two, I wonder that doesn't look right. <laughs> turn the page, and twenty-three says, "And Jesus Himself began to be about thirty years of age, being as was supposed." I like that. As was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Helii. Uh, he's not the son of Joseph, you know, because we know that he's the son of God, um, and I like that they put it in there. It's like, oh. in essence, yes, he's born into this family, and Joseph raised him like a son, but he's not his son. He is the son of God. And then it goes through and it uses Jesus here as the launch point. And he's going through and, and he's, Luke is proving that he is human. You know, that's, that's what's different between his genealogy versus Matthew's genealogy. He wants to show that he is connected, he, he's 100% human. And we're going to see that this plays a pivotal role in his being Redeemer and with the sons of God, you know, that with this divine council uh, eventually. And so he is showing here in this genealogical record that we are all offspring, an Offspring, Levi is my offspring. I am my dad's offspring. Dad's an offspring of his dad. And it goes back and goes back and goes back. Look at verse, let's pick one here, 32. Which was the son of Jesse, which was the son of Obed, which was the son of Boaz, which was the son of Salmon, which was the son of Nasson. And you read this and it's a little like, oh, okay, but it's neat that that genealogy is all there, but we know those families. Verse 36, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Shem, which was the son of Noah, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Mahalalel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Special creation of God. You know, he wasn't descended from anybody other than God. God took the, the, the materials of the earth, created Adam, put him in the garden, you're my son. He does the same with Eve. You know, He uses part of Adam's rib in that way. Everybody else was descended from somebody else, Adam was a descendant of God. He is a is he an angel? No. He's not an angel. He's a man. But same identification that he's a special creation. The angels were a special creation. And then Adam was a special creation. You and I get that same distinction once we repent and trust in Christ. We become a special creation because we are a special creation in Christ Jesus, right? He, he's died for us. He's transformed us. He's made it into that, brought us into the heavenly realms uh, because of that. You know, we have access to the to Father's throne. So that puts us in that same camp. So we also have to remember when things are written and why they're written when they are. It's because God's order is never out of order. Look at Job 1. Book of Job. I referenced this last week, but I want to take time to look at Job. Ah, I said Job 1. Yeah, Job 1, uh, verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So apparently he has an appointed time. How often? I don't know. Is it like taxes every April 15th? I'm not sure when it is, but he has an appointed time where it's like, everybody's going to come and stand before me. This is present themselves. That means literally you have to stand there before them. He's going to ask you some questions. It's like going before a judge. You know, hey, what have you been, you know, you have to give an account. Uh, which brings to light a lot of those um, parables that Jesus tells about masters and their servants. Here come, and the master comes, he's out of every account. What have you done with the ten talents I've given you? And you have to stand and give an account. I folded it in a napkin and I buried it in the dirt. You know, I was afraid to do so. You know, the only other one, like, well, I gave it over to this. I know how you are. So he has that kind of accountability. He's done that. You know, Jesus tells those stories. We do that with, among ourselves. God's done that here with his sons of God. These, we would always use the generic term angel. I'm trying to avoid that because that's a job title. Um, but he has them come, these sons of God. Lucifer is a special creation of God. There was a time when he was right. He was a created being who was there. This is the oldest book in the Bible. So, is this talking about saved Christians? No, because that's, that only happens. We only get become the sons of God after Jesus Christ has transformed us, that He's made us, after He's satisfied all that debt. And plus, you know, I, He can call me up there. If He calls me up there, He's going to take me. You know, but, uh, but this is different. This is taking place in the heavenly realm. Uh, Satan is a created being. And he's got to answer, verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the face of the earth and walking up and down in it. He's like, I'm just roaming around. You know, and so he, he has to answer him. He's held accountable. <clears throat> Which is comforting. And I think we should take comfort from these verses in that Satan is on a leash. He can only go so much. And I take that as we have the accounts and we know that you know, Satan's always, well, let me do this. And God's like, you can do that, but no more. You know, he draws a line that Satan cannot cross. And so they know who the real power is. Yes, are they trying to dethrone him? Yes, but uh, they can't. So I don't know how they think they're going to win. They're delusional. Um, but you know, They do this. You know, that's, They have to come before him because he calls them. Let's look at the one in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Again there was a day, Job 2 verse 1, again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So It's like, hey, it's appointed time, I gotta go. Oh, what day is it? Yeah, we got that meeting. You know, and so they all have to go and he gives his account. And so it's like it's the rule, he must obey. You know, They have no choice outside of it. And so, again, I don't know how regular, I don't know if it's annually, I don't know. It's twice a year, you know, I don't know from the events of when all that happened with Job, how fast it was that this came on him again. We're not given that, but, you know, they're there. Look at verse uh, 2. The Lord said unto Satan, Once comest thou? And Satan answered, The Lord said, From going to and fro the face of the earth, walking up and down in it. Which you kind of expect, right? Oh, I'll give you the same answer I gave you last time. You kind of expect him to be a smart aleck. You know, I'm not going to reveal too much. I'm going to give you a very general answer. You know, so God calls him and says, uh, was thou consider my servant Job? Verse 3 none like him. And again, uh, verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that man hath will uh, he give for his life, but put forth thine hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. You're like, oh, you can do all this, but you can't kill him. So sickness, disease, all that, can come from the devil. says so right there. But he still holds him accountable. Um, There's Satan can still go before God's throne. Satan is still called before God's throne. Uh, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He goes up there and he can accuse us. Maybe there's days when he's called up there, and maybe there's days when he just shows up, like, oh, did you see what Brian did? Oh, I thought he was one of yours. Like, what he's doing? He'll go up there and and accuse us. We have an advocate who then pleads our case. I paid for that. I know it was a future sin, you know, that he did, but that's under the blood. Uh, But he's still there trying to bring up and, 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 and cause grief. But there's coming a day when he'll be banished from heaven, He won't be allowed up in there anymore. That's what Revelation tells us. He knows that he is wrathful because he knows he has but a short time. He reads the book. Does he understand the book as well? No, because he's not like us. He doesn't have the familiar understandings where we can get it and we grasp it and we know it. It is written in code in plain sight. That's some of the better ones. It's like uh, if I told Levi, I'm like, hey, we're going to meet at that tree, you know, where you put that box in the woods. You know, he and I know where it is because he and I were there and we did it. He's shaking his head. He knows what I'm talking about. You know, but because he and I know that, I can say it right in front of you and you're like, I don't know, it could be, there's a million trees in the state of Indiana. <laughs> Who knows where that tree is? But Levi and I know because we're saying that. God talks to us in that terms. Here, you know what I'm talking about. Here's how it is. We get it. A lot of it, I think it's all here for him to study. He can listen in if he wants. Uh, I think maybe he stays away from hallowed ground spaces, you know, but uh, we're here to talk about it and, and And he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. He might be one of those who's able to read the letter, but he doesn't understand the spirit behind it, that that we get a different and a deeper meeting. And so I think that that's pretty cool. But there's coming a time when he knows enough that I'm going to be cast down, I'm locked out, and i got a short time, we got to get this program on, and that's when all hell breaks loose and probably pulls out all the stops. Um, We'll look at more of that as we go deeper. Look at Job 38. So this is near the end, this is when God begins to uh, speak again it's a I know it's a lot of our uh, some of our favorite stuff here he has a lot of different um Creation terminologies here that he reveals a lot of things that he does that we never would have considered before. Do you know why water the United States of America on the backside of the world that you don't even know exists yet? You know, I take care of the animals over here that you don't even know about. Do you know Have you ever tried my day? Have you made it rain once? Have you made the sun come up once? Have you made the sun set once? What you, you know, tell me what all you're doing, all this knowledge that you have. You know, he's really just him down like, you know, you don't know who I am and what I'm doing. And so, you know, we gain a lot because of Job's experience here. Verse 1, Job 38. Then the Lord asked Job out of the whirlwind and said... Who is this that darkness counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins, like a, loins, thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. It's like, uh, how's all this working? Go ahead and tell me. Go ahead, Go ahead and tell me. Where, 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 where's that working? Um, verse 5. Who has laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Who has laid the cornerstone thereof? Were you there when I created the world? And he's like, just tell me how this all works. What's holding us all in our places? Our science spends a lot of time saying there must be dark matter. Dark matter means there's something. Space is a good word for space because there's just a lot of it. <laughs> we are too far apart for gravity to work and hold everything together as it does. So they say there must be some dark matter, must be some matter out there that we can't see that is dark, non-reflective, that is holding these things together. What is holding this place together? Colossians one says, or was it three? Colossians one or Colossians three sixteen? I get one sixteen to three sixteen says that Jesus holds us all together. We by Him all these things consist, and He's holding it there. And so there, you know, He's asking them, "Well, oh, they're still asking us. You tell me how it's all held together." I brought something. I got my? new I don't. It's been quite a few years ago when I had my golden calipers. Uh, I made some uh, popsicle sticks. I'm empty nester now, so I splurged and got me some metal ones. But it's one where you can explore the. Uh, it's called the golden section, the golden mean, pie. Uh, uh, I say the golden golden. It's just the perfect proportions. I'll, I'll demonstrate it myself. <laughs> but, no, but it's one of them where you can look at I, I picked up a leaf going in the house the other day and I probably spent a half hour measuring everything with this every time the leaf forked was right wherever you put the outside edge there would be, this would tell you where the fork should be uh, the little veins on the back of an oak leaf you put it on there, every time it would branch out it would tell me, oh right here's where it's going to go God signs his handiwork, if I put it on my finger it points from the oh, I not you have to flip it around From the the top to the bottom, tells me where my knuckle should be. If I reduce it down to the next one, where my other knuckle should be. You can do it all out to your hand, to your wrist, to your elbow, to your waist, to your face, with a proportion where your eyes, your nose, you know how all this should be. You could do it on a spiral galaxy. You can do it on a nautilus, you know, a shell that's cut in half. You can watch all the spirals. It's all the same. God has put his fingerprints over it all, and he has made it obvious that he has done it. Between the leaf on the tree to where a, the maple trees where the bark starts and splits apart looks random, chaotic. God says, "Nope, it's in the perfect section. I, I put it in there. I, I placed that on it. If you want to play with it after church, you can. But <laughs> it's just a fun little toy. I'm hoping to make some more popsicle stick ones. But uh, it's, a good it's like God's fingerprints are on it all. It's out there. But He's asking, you know, hey, you know, all so much. Where was all this? Verse seven. He says, when the morning stars sang together. And they do have, we study a lot of the research we have now for planets and stars and everything else. It's through a radio telescope, not a visual telescope. Uh, Through the sounds at light, uh, through the light spectrum, we see such a small portion. Um, But he says, and and all the sons of God shouted for joy. All the sons of God. Were Christians there then? No. So we're going back at the time when God created the world. The Sons of God were created, we learned that. All the sons were God, gods were there, and they're all singing for joy, so they're all on board. So this is before Satan, sin, sin enters in with him. He's on board here. He's like, yeah, and we know at the end of the creation week, God says, it is good. It is all good, but that lousy, rotten Lucifer over there. No, he doesn't say that. He says, it's good. It's all good. You know, and, it's, and he rests on it. You know, Creation is good. I've done this. And so there was a time when they were all in agreement, that they were all there, that they saw this, and they knew it. And so there was a long time there where they couldn't use the evolution lie because Adam had talked with God. He had to wait until after the flood and after that was all done. Now he can spin it on these non-suspecting uh, morons of today, right? Oh, no, that just, you know, that, that, that made itself. You know? <laughs> you know, it makes total sense, right? You watch things make themselves all the time. No, you know, we don't see that, and yet that's what we're bought to believe. We're told to believe, you know, that something made itself from nothing. And so, yeah, it's, it's there. But yet the sons of God know better. They've seen it. They were there. They were there at the beginning, and they praised God for what he was doing. Uh, so, God was there. His heavenly family was there. His divine counsel that works in the heavenly realm was there, and they celebrate this master achievement of God as he's done this. They probably weren't there when he created heaven, so now they watch him create what we live in in Baskin, and they're like, that's astounding, you know, that you've taken what we have in this third heaven, and now you've made this one where we have the moon, the stars, the space, the earth, and all this stuff, and they watch it come forth as God has determined it, and they are just praising him as it gets done. They shout for joy at the victory, and would you not? I mean, just reading Genesis 1, you're kind of like, that's cool. I've watched Antris and Genesis videos where he kind of summarize it, put it all together, and you're just in awe of our creator and what he's done. They are standing there, and they're witnessing it by his power where he just speaks it, which I love that, universe, a single spoken sentence. One, uni, like a unicycle, verse, one verse. God, you know, God says, let there be. Pfft, and there it is. You know, even the universe points out that it's a single spoken, spoken sentence. One verse brings it all into existence. Uh, put it there. And yet we have... The world tries to downplay it by saying it's the cosmos, chaos. It's not chaos, it's orderly. We can launch a rocket and know when it's going to be there because we can do the math because the math always works because God is orderly. He's able to put it out there. He even tells us, I put you these stars for signs and seasons so you know when you are, where you are, what's going on. Ancient man was obsessed with it. Indiana is dotted by mounds around here where they were studying the stars. I think there's a reason why we put on lights everywhere. We don't see them as much. So it's not so much that so we go out and observe it. They would watch it every night and be in awe and say, I want all they're looking for. I'm curious about what all they were looking for. But they were watching it and mapping things for a reason where we'd take it as a, eh, it's okay. You know, I think we should be, be a little more in awe. They saw it and they were in awe. But this was the unseen world was structured, God is orderly. It's not chaos, it's not that cosmos, it is chaos, it is orderly, sorry. Um, they work for him, they are his family, they help run the company in that essence. You know, and God's the CEO, to use a poor analogy. And so they are there, so heaven was orderly, God had his counsel to do the things that they would do, and they would go about it, and God is doing his thing. And then he makes man. He makes Adam and Eve, special creatures, uh, special creations, go to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 27. We'll try to get some neat thoughts here. Genesis 1, 27 says, So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth on the earth. This is where he creates man, puts him here, and then he gives him his orders. Have dominion. Have dominion. Dominion. Rule over it. Dominate. You know, that's what we understand, right? There's always a, you know, get a pack of dogs, there's a dominant one, dominating one, the alpha male. That means that, rule it. I'm putting you in this world now, you rule it. He has God's over everything. He has his heavenly divine counsel, the sons of God, that to, to rule over the heavenly realm. Now he makes earth, and he makes Adam, and he's like, oh, we're expanding the family business. A special creation of mine a Son of God, Adam. You are going to dominate the earth. This is your realm. And so he puts him in charge of it. They'll, they'll do it. Run, run my business. You know, put him here. He tells him to dominate. All these animals are underneath you, the, the, the fish, the birds, you know, the animals. You know, you're to be in charge. You're to be over those. You're to dominate them. You're to actually, the the definition of of dominion goes on to even to tread it down is that you are to bring it under submission you know you're to make it mine and and rule it for me Uh, we are to claim the earth in in essence and rule it for and with god because you know it's his he goes now rule it i've made it i've made it unruly i've given you a job to do which excites me to no end (laughs) <laughs> that God could just do something that I'm sure the, the, the sons of God, you know, when they were there, when they were shouting for joy, when he made this, they're like, look what he made. You know, they, they see what heaven is, and he makes this other thing. And like, it blows our mind. We had no idea. What could he do for us in eternity when he's like, oh, here's a job for you. Let me just make this. And we'll be like, I, I, don't, I have no words, can't, words escape me. And now go and, and, and subdue that for me. It just thrills me to know that we have work to do, uh, a job to serve him and, and not fail him. Uh, I think it just makes heaven all the more interesting. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 15. It says, And the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And that's when he sees that he's without a mate and uh, he makes him Eve and he puts him in there and they're both naked and not ashamed. But verse 15, God has made Adam and he's made him in the world. You know, we know he's taken him from the, the dust of, of our earth. Adam means red man in that he was red clay. Probably Dad says from Kentucky. But <laughs> they're but red clay, the that way that they're red man, Adam. And so he makes him out of the dust of the earth. And then he takes him from the wildness that is the world. And God's like, I'm going to make a special place. And God makes a garden. And then he puts him in the garden and puts him and Eve in there together. And Eve was made in the garden. So that's why girls are a little more. Neat and orderly. You know, we were made wild and outside. Girls are placed inside. You know, and so to, to made it that way. So that, that kind of explains some things. But God makes this garden and puts him in it. So God sets up a garden. Gardens don't just happen. You know, it's not just you know wilderness is called wild for a reason. You know, because it was wild. A garden is organized. You know, when you are in a garden, you know where you're in your well tended garden. Um, I like it. Uh, I still have fond memories of. Uh, Garfield park you know I think going in the uh, conservative, yeah just it still is you know neat and orderly and is there I've, I've always i've liked every garden my parents have taken me to growing up with the neat paths and the plants that are growing i, I you know, there's something about that seeing well-organized plants in that way. Even you know, seeing farmers around here, nice straight rows. You know, and I remember riding with uh, Gary, you know, Danny's dad, <laughs> and be pointing out, "Look how straight my rows are." That guy's a little crooked over there. You know? <laughs> so he's looking down just want to make sure. You know, take pride in your work, keep it orderly, keep it straight and neat. You know, and how it's going to go that way. You never did that, did you, Bill? <laughs> so, but you know, just orderly and straight, and, and 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 keeping it decent. You know, it takes something. You have to weed it. You know, he noticed every weed in there. We'd, Dad had us, you know, weeding the garden. We got some, our first garden down here. I remember we had the picture of it it was pristine. You know, it was all out there and clean. It takes a lot. You have to work at it to keep that out of there. Um, you know, Robbie likes to keep a garden. You know, that's a lot of work. And so neat, organized, tamed, you know, stuff that is there. And we, we have to dominate it. Uh, God did that. He went in and he had dominion over an area. He made it a garden. It was no longer wild. He established it. What all he do for that? I don't know. I'm sure it was fantastic. But, you know, you can always see where man's hand has been. I didn't always realize it, but like, say you're on a hike. You know, if you're going on a hike, and uh, the boys and I hike uh, low gap, and you can go back there, and you can always tell where people have been. All of a sudden here 's a spot where they 've cleared out a spot there 's a clearing you know there 's some organized logs. you can see those around there they 've made a ring to keep the fire in or maybe they 've stacked up some logs. we 've seen a couple of little fireplaces like things that they 've made and uh, maybe they 've even trimmed the limbs back you know they 've cleared this this way or that way and you 've got a vine to swing on all of a sudden oh you know man 's been here you, you can see it he 's been there he 's organized it he 's cleaned it up, made it more ha- more of a living living uh, habitat maybe they 've even dammed up the creek in some area and made some little thing with water. you get to see all kinds of stuff. I remember walking through the woods as a young boy and seeing all these trees in a straight row. I'm like, it's weird, pine trees grow in straight rows. And Dad's like, man, planted that, you moron. <laughs> it's like the CCC. I didn't know. Yeah, the CCC, they, they, uh, they, they had guys go out there because you'd be in the middle of the woods and all here's a pasture the tree. I maybe they was growing a row. I don't know. <laughs> so I got schooled. Uh, but, you know, you could tell they'd been there, oh, this is organized. And then think back, and it's been neat now. I've known that. Like, man, there was people who did this. I think... Uh, Danny and your grandpa, one of them, worked for the CCC for a while. I forget which one. I think but One made. them, <laughs> one of them did that, I'm pretty sure, went around and organized it that way. And so it's neat. You can see it's been that way. And so God does this. He organizes a section and puts man in it, and he wants him to replicate that. Now, go and make the world like this. Here's a, here's a little, here's a home base. You're going to work from here. See how I've organized it. Go and claim it, and he wants him to go do that. Who else was in the garden? Going to say, snake. <laughs> that snake was. But let's look and see. Look at Ezekiel. Not where you're expecting, probably. Ezekiel 28. And I just, I, just, I want to look at some some terms that we don't normally look at in terms of the garden. Because usually we think Garden of Eden, I don't know about you, my immediate picture is Adam and Eve. You know, I got some guy standing there with an appropriately placed leaf and a girl with really long hair, you know, (laughs) covering up everything that we're not supposed to see. You know, so that's just my generic picture of Adam and Eve standing there where they're supposed to be. Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. You know, that's their home, that's where they are. But here in uh, Ezekiel 28, verse 13, we'll look at the first sentence there. It says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. It says it's his. Granted, God didn't make it, and he put Adam in it. But it says here's one of the identifiers of Eden is that it's God's garden. I kind of had the thinking, I guess, that God just visited every once in a while. You're Like, oh, it's the cool of the day. I think I'll go for a stroll. This gives an illusion that it's more than that. Uh, um, the Garden of God. Look at uh, Ezekiel 31. And this, I never really thought of that as a title of Eden as being the garden of God. I thought, I, Eden, Adam and Eve. This one says, no, Eden, the garden of God, the, the garden that God made. Ezekiel 31, look at verse 8. It says in the... 31 verse Thirty-one, Verse 8. <coughs> And again, I hope this whets your appetite to go back and say, what in the world is being talked about in Ezekiel 31? I'm not going to get into that here tonight, but uh, let's just take it for what it is. Ezekiel 31 verse 8 says, The cedars of the garden of God, Eden, could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any trees in the garden of God uh, was like unto him in his beauty. I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden the garden of God, uh, that were in the garden of God, envied him. And so he's talking about somebody pretty, a bird a tree, that's in this garden of God, Eden, garden of God, putting the two names together. Uh, so it's something beautiful, but it says it's in his garden. So now, uh, before we go to the next point, I want you to picture in your mind Eden. Um, I guess, what's it look like? Where do you think it is? I mean, like well, I don't know. Is it over between two rivers? I mean, it gives some identifiers. I don't mean that. Like, if you were, like, walking through the woods, you're like, oh, here's Eden. Um, where do you picture it? I don't... Where do you think it's located? Anybody have any ideas that's strong in their mind? Like, oh, he's kind of picture it like this. Or and you're like, Brian, I never think of that, you weirdo. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, to me, it's always like in a valley. Like you've maybe come down a ridge and you kind of look down and see it like, oh, I can see the, there's the garden. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm influenced by movies. You know? But it's kind of like you can always go down like, oh, it's in a valley. A valley always seems like it's the fertile ground, Like right? It's like where you want to be. That's where the rivers might join. That, that's mentioned you might, might have it all that way. It's like, but that's because I live in 2017. Ancient man, or I'm saying ancient man, Adam and, 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 and the Jews during their time, they had different thoughts about, What a paradise setting would be, uh, where a lot of life was, where a lot of ecology. Adam's been studying permaculture. And he talks about the edges where different things come together, where the forest edge and like a combined yard is, he says there's a lot of life in that edge where you have all the nutrients from all the leaves chewing up to this, and when you have one kind of plant go another kind of plant, he says that area, the strip in the middle, that's where it is, that's what you want, that's making all the things for life and the nutrients that are going forward, and so he's been studying that, and so we get the benefit of it, and so there's there's a place where it's all kind of stacked up that way, that doesn't mean as much to you and me, but you it meant more to them. Go back to Ezekiel 28, and it gives us another identifier of the garden of God, Eden, and what it looked like. So Ezekiel 28, and of course you're going to notice the the, the terminology that's going on here, we're talking about Lucifer uh, and him being there, but uh, Ezekiel 28, uh, verse 14 says, Thou art the anointed cherub, speaking of Lucifer, that covereth. I have set thee so, thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. There. So he's in the garden of God, which is a mountain. I would have never guessed that. I've never pictured the garden of God as a mountain. I've never considered a mountain as a garden of God. Uh, verse 16. And the multitude of their merchandise they have filled um, in the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. He's going to remove him from the mountain. But ancient man, or, you know, talking about the ancient Jews and their culture and all that was, that's where God dwelt, on a mountain. I think where Moses, where did Moses meet God? On a mountain, right? And that's where he went and got the Ten Commandments and he based all that way. That's where it was an inaccessible place. Now, it's not like, ah, Beelzebub. <laughs> but it's not like... um like saying, oh, God lives in the clouds, we can't ever get up there. You know, I'm glad that the Bible never, he he comes in clouds, there's a lot of terms for that, but it's not like, you know, some cultic book that says it's up there, that we get an airplane, we're like, where's heaven? We're flying over it, we don't see it. You know, it's like, oh, we've been to Everest, there's no throne of God up here. It's more of, that was the lush place, it's where they were higher, they were bigger, it's where all the life has, you have snow, you have trees, you have all that ecology that's coming down, it's a grand, majestic place. We've all seen mountains, Right? And you say, wow, right? I mean, I don't care if they're in the distance. You're right next to them. You're just like, Oh, there's something down there. They're big. They're strong. They just bring a, a sense of majesty to them that they're there. And they're like, something special goes on there. Oh, that's the Garden of God. That's Eden. It was a, this, I think, a mountain. Uh, this lush, gorgeous mountain that would have gone down into the flat, It would still been the base of the mountain where all these things would have been and rivers could have converged. But I never considered that before. I'm picturing it like a mountain. I knew this verse about the mountains of God, but I didn't know how all this worked. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, also, even from the time you know, Moses met with God versus Adam and Eve, I, I believe, based on the scripture, mountains were different. Yeah. Oh, uh, for, because of the flood, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we also have kind of a, 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 a jaded view of what a mountain of God would be like, Garden of Eden. I see where you're going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it would be higher and elevated, but it's not going to be, you know, 23,000 feet tall. You're right, because it talks about, and the mountains went up and the valleys sank down, and it, yeah, we live in the fallen world, so you're right. It probably does taint our view on what we're thinking about. Hmm. It's curious. But it does, in thinking of this, that he is on this mountain, is starting to inform us and get us ready for the Babel event, because they are doing something specifically as they are building a false place to meet with God or to try to storm God's throne, you know, they're building a false mountain. You know, a ziggurat and something that way, and we'll get to that more when we get there. But uh, that's the that purpose, not the dolphin, the purpose, not the porpoise. <laughs> the <purpose>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so they're, they're trying to uh, storm the gates of God, and so they're there. And so, all right, so God's there, he's in the mountain. Lucifer was there, we knew that, right, because he was the snake. Uh, I just got a couple of verses, but let's look at the, go back to Genesis 1. And I've always heard these read, and so I'm just, we're wanting to read this again for the first time. In the view of God, has a divine counsel. God discusses things with him. Does he need to? No. You know, as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a three in one, which is mind blowing, which is hard for us to comprehend and grasp. We sin that we do know that. How does that work? I don't know, but. There's nothing that the Father knows that the Son doesn't know that the Spirit doesn't know. They all have that in, in, in there. They don't lack for friendship because they have each other, but, you know, how does that work? I don't know. They're in need of nothing, but they want to show and use their talents. He is good. He is loving. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He is kind. And so he made us so that he could, you know, use those fruits, you know, and show that. But it changes the way I, I read this when I know that there is a divine counsel, too. So Genesis 1, look at verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. Let us make man in our image. Who is he talking to? Is God the Father talking to God the Son, telling him something he doesn't know? Hey, I got an idea. He's like, right, I had it too. You know, because apparently you know, they don't know something that the other one doesn't know. Could he have his counsel there? That he's saying, "Hey, we're going to make him there." You're like, I don't know. I've never heard that, Brian. That's weird. I've never heard that before uh, until recently either. But look at verse 27. So again, God is the only one with the power to create. You know, these sons of God, these little G's, they don't. They, he's given them powers, and they have different abilities. And we know that Satan is able to cause a whirlwind and all these other stuff that happened with Job. You know, he's able to do all kinds of things. Uh, but. Uh, he's not God, he doesn't have this God's power, so God's the one who creates, and so he says, hey, let's do this. Apparently they're made in his image a little bit. Look at verse 27, says, and so God created man in his own image. Not in our image, it's in his image. Now, his, It's very personal. And the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And so, it's let us, and our, and then he turns it, no, it's going to be in my image. And so we become God's imagers. We are the image, how does that work? I don't know, but we know that Colossians, Hebrews, Romans, 2 Corinthians, that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. He says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You know, that I am the one in the team. He argues with the disciples about that. He goes, How long have I been with you that you don't understand this? You know, that if you've seen me, I'm that representation. And so um, don't take it because I said it, read it and look at it, but is he talking to them? And then God does and does the creation, and we see that the sons of God in Job 38 shout for joy once he does it. That's great, that's amazing, that's fantastic, we see what you have done you know but he's demonstrating for them he's telling them what their plan is like here's what we're going to do he's not asking their advice he's not asking their opinion he's not even saying hey help me in doing this he doesn't cuz Christ does it all <laughs> cuz we see that Christ is the one who's the creator who does all this and so they watch it they watch it happen but he's there but he tells us that we're in his image and then he gives us this realm to take care of this job and uh, we'll probably pick up there next week but yeah so uh, cuz like it is Elohim uh-huh. Yeah, he could just be saying out loud, "Let us do this." He, uh, they think maybe he's announced it to this group because I think there's two places. I can't remember the other one. He's not asking permission; he's just declaring, "We're going to make this in our image." But there, what's your say, Dad? Eh? Not capitalized. Um, mine's not either. Yeah, what's yours? And again, I'd always heard, argue, oh, it's because this is a trinity, this is a hint that there's a trinity there, because it does say Elohim, which is a plural term. But we've looked at these sons of God are called Elohim. Matter of fact, maybe I'll take some time and go through that. and We look at all the, it's basically heavenly, be, anybody who lives in the divine realm is called an Elohim. It's like you live in that, you know, we're all in America, we're Americans. And so uh, it doesn't, you know, God is different than all them because he is God who lives there. He is an Elohim of Elohims, you know, the Lord of Lords king of kings, God of gods, and so he is above them all, Um, but again, this is building our case on who these creatures are, who these beings are, what they might play into it, we're going to see what, they're going to have a play here before the flood, and we're not going to talk on it as much, but I want to look at what goes on at Babel, because that sets us up for where we are now, uh, and what's going on in our world now, and who we might be fighting against, and more that we're fighting against, and so we'll we'll pick up here uh, next week, but think on those things, and debate it, and discuss it, and Again, don't take it just because I said it. I want you to investigate it and and see what it says. Let's just take the text from where it goes. Uh, We'll close in a word of prayer.